Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. Today, we're going to speak to you about Don't Forget. So our, I guess our message title is Don't Forget. And um, we have, sometimes we just need to stop and just remember who he is and what he can do. And um, I'm thankful that I know I don't have to put up, put on a show for you guys. I love you. And I just want you to pray for me as, as we're doing this. Uh, I do believe that we have a word for today. The points for today is don't forget the great things he's done. Don't forget all his benefits. And then Jaden's gonna come up and talk about don't forget that God can intervene. And don't forget that your spiritual weapons are ready when you are. So that's kind of what we're going to go over for today. And I'm just going to go ahead and start in on point one. And my first point is don't forget the great things he's done. And we've already been singing about that this morning, that he's done great things. And I didn't even discuss that with Joel, so I just know the Lord worked that out. He is more than able to meet our needs. You know, whether you're lacking, you're running on empty, or you're all the way out, resources are used up. He's a God of more than enough. I want to look briefly at two passages of Scripture where God did great things. I just, again, just to remind you for this point, I want you to walk away knowing that He does great things. And just this is just me reminding you of some of the great things that He has done. In John 6, 1 through 14, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, but this is just where I felt led. This is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. The problem, there's too many people and there's not enough food. I want to read in John 6, 5 through 9. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far would they go among so many? Um, At that point, Jesus said, you know, have the people sit down. And I'm just gonna kind of walk you through what happened, even though I know you know, um, about 5,000 men sat down. Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks And then they ate as much bread as they wanted. And then he did the same thing with the fish. And then he told them, go pick up the leftovers. And there was 12 baskets of leftovers. So there was not enough in the beginning. And then when Jesus stepped in, there was leftovers. Um, But I want to go back to one question. Jesus asked this question in John 6 and 5. Where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat? And I want to examine two responses. I read it earlier, but I want to highlight this. John 6 and 7. Philip says, hey, eight months wages would not do it. It would not buy enough bread for everybody to have one bite. And then Andrew says, hey, we got five small loaves and two small fish, but, you know, how far is that going to go among so many? And I guess my question is, are you like Philip when life presents a problem that you know you cannot fix and you know you can't figure it out? Do you come up with reasons why it can't be done? Because he's all eight months wages. It's not even going to get one bite for everybody. Or are you more like Andrew who said, hey, the five small barley loaves, they're two fish. 
I don't know how far it's going to go among so many. Um, Philip didn't like leave a lot of room for faith and hope. Andrew did offer a solution, even though he wasn't sure how it was going to come to pass. They had different responses to the same problem. Both of them were looking at an impossible, so like an impossible issue. They did not have enough. Um, but just as a reminder, but don't forget, just because you can't don't mean that he can't. And um, I just, again, this morning as we're talking about in this point, don't forget the great things that he has done. Um, in the Bible, um, he divided the Red Sea. He sent down manna. He protected Daniel in the lion's den and so much more, right? But then think about in your own life how he's provided and how he's taken care of you. And in the Bible and in my own life, he's taken care of me in unusual ways. So sometimes he came up with a way I never even thought about was going to be the way. And I know that's probably the same for you as well. Um, when we remember the great things that he has done, it builds our faith. So I, um, this morning, I guess an application point is this. Do you have carryover faith? And what I mean by that is sometimes there's no carryover between um, about what we know God can do from one situation to the next. Sometimes it's like we're starting over with our faith or starting over with our trust. But that's really not the way it should be. It should be that when God moves and moves in our life, that our faith builds and our trust in him builds. And then when something else comes up, Okay, it's not like we're starting at the bottom. It's like, I know he, I know he took care of me there. He's going to take care of me again. And I, I call that carryover faith. And so I want to challenge myself and to you all, like, just be, just be mindful of that. Where are you at with your carryover faith? Like, when he does something for you, are you able to take that and use that when the next situation hits you in the face and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do? Because we ought to be able to see, say, he helped me pay the bills this time. He healed my child over here. He, um, he gave me favor to get this job right here. So now when I got this facing me down, I can say, he has taken care of me, and I know that he's going to come through. And so that's what I call when I say carry over faith. And I'm challenging myself, and I'm challenging us just this morning to make sure we have carry over faith. Okay, so make sure we're not starting all the way over each new time that we, we face an issue. Um, another example is in John 2. I want to talk about... Uh, this is John 2, 1 through 11, another example of, of him doing a great thing, which is also, you'll be very familiar with it. This is when Jesus turns water into wine. Um, the problem was that the wine was gone at the wedding, okay? So, and just throwing this out, remember, just because you and I run out don't mean he's out. He's not out of solution. He's not out of resource. He can, make, he can do anything. He can make ways when there are no ways, and we know that. In John 2 and 3, um, when the wine was gone, I love this part of the story. I want to talk to you a little bit about Mary's um, moment here, I guess. In John 2 and 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And he says, why do you involve me for my time has not yet come? And then right then, the very next recorded scripture, John 2 and 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Like, that's how that went down. I just think that's so interesting. Okay, so then the story is that there were six stone jars over to the nearby used for ceremonial washing. And Jesus says to the servants, go get the jars, fill it up. And there were six jars. The Bible says that they held 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And so they did. They filled it with water to the brim, all right? And then 
the master of the banquet, they tell him to draw some out, and he does. And then he calls the bridegroom, and he's like, hey, you saved the best wine for last. Okay, so anyway, again, in this, we know that Jesus turned water to wine, and this is a familiar miracle that he did. Um, and if you do the math, it was probably around 180 gallons of, of wine. Um, so that's a big deal to go from you're out to 100, and I think about, you know, milk gallons, if I had 180 up here, how much that would look like to us. Like, he made a lot of wine when he did this. But that's awesome that he did that. He took something that wasn't, he changed water. Um, I don't, it's crazy to think about how he changed water over into wine. But I want to talk about um, Mary again right here. So look at her response. Remember John 2 and 3, Jesus' mother saying they have no more wine, and he's like, why are you telling me, kind of thing. And um, she's like, do whatever he says. Here's a little something about Mary. Okay, Mary had an increased expectancy about what he could do because he, he knew, because she knew who he was. I want to take a brief look. I'm not have you turn over there, but Luke 1, 26 and 30, 38. See, Mary, this is going back, think Christmas for just a minute. Gabriel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to name him Jesus. All right. And then in Luke 1 and 32, this is one of the things that Gabriel says. He says, he will be great. And I don't think Mary ever forgot that. I don't think she ever forgot that. Because I'm going to talk in a minute about something else you already know is that how she pondered and thought about things. The, the scripture mentions that. But I don't think, I think she held on to that. And that's, we got to hold on to things. When we're reading it in the Bible, when we're in, you know, a service or when someone speaks in our heart and, and we know it was of the Lord, we got to hold on to those things. But I know that Mary took that with her. He will be great. That's not all Gabriel said. He said a lot more. I'm not going to read it all. The son of the most high, his kingdom will never end. And then here's Mary. How is this even going to happen? And Gabriel even explains that about how the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and how it was going to happen. But then in Luke 1 and 37, Gabriel says this, for nothing is impossible with God. Okay, we're, we're talking about a great things, God, and nothing is impossible. So, um, going back to this story, this whole water into wine story, um, Mary, well, hold on, time out. Sorry, I messed up. I got on the wrong spot. So we know Mary goes to Bethlehem, birthed Jesus, met the shepherds. You know the story. And the shepherds are all saying, hey, you know, we got good news of great joy. The Savior has been born. They're going around telling everybody that. And everybody was amazed, according to Luke 2 and 18, Everybody was amazed about what the shepherds were saying. And then right here, Luke 2 and 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So she treasured it, and she pondered it, and she thought about it, and she took what God was doing in her life serious, and she kept it in, in her heart. And so I just want to bring out, sometimes I, and maybe sometimes you, do this. Sometimes we take what the Lord has told us and promise, promised us, and we just throw it aside, or we don't make it as a big of a deal as what we should make it. We forget to just ponder it. We forget to treasure it. And I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I don't think that Mary forgot Luke 1 and 32 when Gabriel said, you know, he is going to be great. She did not forget that. She knew he was great and that he was going to do great things. And that is why I believe in John 2, when they didn't have any wine left. When she says, hey, we're out of wine, and he's like, hey, why are you talking to me about it? And, and she don't even say anything else to him about it. She just tells the servants, 
do what he says to do because her expectancy was he can do great things because she had already pondered it. She had already treasured those things up in her heart and it was already in there. And that's just something that we have to do as well. Uh, think on the word and don't get distracted and make sure that we give the word a treasured place in our heart, a treasured place that we think about. And so don't forget, we have a God who does great things, um, whether he's feeding 5,000, turning water into wine, providing for your needs, healing your heart, healing the heart of one of your children, or just making a way he's more than able. The next thing is that I want to talk about is don't forget all his benefits. And I did ask for some pictures. I gave it to him to Dennis last minute because this, this week has been a lot. Um, but Psalms 103 talks about don't, it even tells us in scripture, don't forget the benefits. Don't forget the benefits. So since it is Mother's Day, I just thought like when I'm considering purchasing a product like at Ulta or just anywhere, the first thing I do is I'm looking to be to see like, hey, what's this going to do for me, right? What are the benefits? If, I, if I'm spending 25 on this this product, I want to know what it's going to do. And so I have this, it's a 10 miracle leave-in, and I don't personally have any of this right now. I have had some of it before, and it does work good. So I'm not bashing any product right now. I'm just simply pointing out, we know what benefits yeah, there it is. We know what benefits are. This, this nourishes your hair. It detangles. It helps reduce frizz. There's so much more. It helps with split ends. And again, there's like 10 benefits that it's saying that it's going to give you. But that's, that's not the only product I wanted to show you. I also have another one, Colgate Optic White Pro Series. This right here, really, I don't have any right now. I'm out. It's expensive. But this actually does work good. So it prevents stains. It, um, it's enamel safe. It whitens inside and out. And the biggest benefit is it says it, it removes 15 years of stains in two weeks. So I kind of laughed about that personally because I'm like, okay, so how do they know, like, this whole 15 years um, of stains in two weeks? I'm not... I'm not 100% sure about if that's possible or how you would measure something like that. So, but just for fun, I just kind of want to walk you through, hey, we, we know what benefits are. We get, you know, I work at Armstrong. I get benefits. I have insurance through, through my job, and you all have benefits. We know what benefits are. And there's some benefits that I'm not 100% sure about, like 15 years of stains or whatever, but there are some that I am 100% sure about, and that's the benefits that we have in Jesus. And this is so simple, y'all. Yeah, go ahead and thank him. Go ahead and thank him. He is so good. And, and this is truly so simple, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. Um, when we ask Jesus to come into our heart and when we repent from our sin and we turn and we walk in him and follow him, when we fear the Lord, this Bible talk, the, all through Psalms 103, he's talking about when you fear me, when you, when you fear him, when you keep his covenant, when you obey him and you walk in, in his ways, you receive a full benefits package that is like no other. It don't even come close to this like Miracle 10 or this special little toothpaste I have up here. It ain't even anything close to that. And that, who knows if it really does all that. But I do know, I do trust the word and I know what it says and I believe it to be true. And so... This is simple, but I just want to remind you of the benefits that you have in him. <laughs> he forgives all our sin, all of it. He heals all our disease. 
he redeems our life from the pit and he crowns us with love and compassion. He satisfies our desire with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. He works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He makes known his ways. He made known his ways to Moses and he's still making known his way to us now. He is compassionate. He is gracious. And what about this? He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. And he does not treat us as our sins deserve. And he does not repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. There's that. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And I know it's Mother's Day and this is saying father, but I'm just thinking about this right here. When one of them two has done something wrong and they come to me and they are truly sorry and they're like, mama, I messed up and this is what I did and I'm sorry. Guess what my response is? It's, you know, sometimes there's consequences that we do have to look at, but I'm like, it's done. It's over. And the same thing for my little ninth graders over at Armstrong. Sometimes their little hormones get the best of them and they act out. But sometimes they come back to me and they say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. And guess what I'm saying? It's done. It's over. I'm free. So I know that he is so much more able to do that than me. <laughs> and then um, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Remember, we receive his full benefits package when we fear him and keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. So don't forget all his benefits. So he does great things and we have a full benefits package with him. Okay, Jaden is going to come up and finish out the last two. All right, good morning. So that brings us to our third point, that God can intervene. So don't forget that in any situation, in any trial that you face, God is able to rescue you from the hand of the enemy. Whether you're stuck in a storm such as a family problem, sickness, financial issues, heartache, or depression, he sees you in your fear, and he is perfectly capable of bringing you out of it. So I want to talk to you this morning about two types of storms. We have the short storms, the problems we go through that aren't quite as long, but then we have the long storms. And first, I'm going to start with the short storms. So I'm going to go to John chapter 6, and I'm going to talk about how Jesus walks on water. So the miracle of the 5,000 had just taken place, and the disciples had gotten on the boat to cross the lake into Capernaum, and Jesus had not yet joined them in the boat and we see in verse 18 that a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. So we see the disciples are in the boat in the midst of the storm and they're afraid. They don't know what to do. But we saw in the verse previous that Jesus had not yet joined them. And we need to remember that maybe in your situation, in your trial, you feel like he has not yet joined you. You feel like he hasn't intervened in your situation quite like you thought he needed to. But we need to cling to that yet because he's coming and he is on the way. And then we read 
In verse 19, it says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were afraid. Sometimes we stare the solution that God is putting before us dead in the face, and we don't see it for what it is. Because our fleshly, our fleshly heart, the part of us that fear just takes a hold of us, and we are unable to fully grasp the solution that he is placing before us. And that's because usually, many times, God's solution isn't always the most comfortable solution. He's not presenting us with comfort, but he's presenting us with a way out. And so we need to take hold of that. But Jesus said, when he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. That's what he is saying to us each and every day. Every little situation you go through, do not be afraid because he is with you and his will is perfect. And after that happened, then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. When you take him in and when you take him up on the solution he is offering you, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, you will immediately reach your solution and you will feel better. God is capable of an instant miracle, but we don't allow him to perform it sometimes because our hearts are unreceptive of what he has for us. We need to be able to open our hearts and be receptive of the things that he has placed before us. Don't rule out an instant miracle. And next, sometimes those storms aren't as quick like that, and we face long storms. And this, when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about, I thought about Job and how everything that he went through. So in Job chapter 1, I'm going to read you verses 1 through 5. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So as it says in the scripture, he was blameless and upright. He feared the Lord and he was a good man. And he made a point to make sure he and his family were in good standing with God. He sacrificed and made sure that his sons and daughters were right with the Lord. But nevertheless, sometimes the enemy comes against us. And we see in verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan talks to him about it, and he was like, I'm paraphrasing, but... He, does he fear you for nothing? He talks about the hedge that he's placed around Job and his possessions and his family. And so God says, okay, he's in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And we see not long after the things that were taken from him, oxen, donkeys, sheep, camels, servants, and sons and daughters. Unfortunately, sometimes God does have to take things from us in order for us to fully walk in what he has for us. 
And so he takes all of these things from them, and of course he's devastated, but he says, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, and may the name of the Lord be praised. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I think so many times when we're in the midst of these situations and these trials, we're unable to truly see the true enemy at hand, and we're blaming God for things that he did not do. So that's just a reminder. We need to remember that it's not God who is putting these things against us. But Satan goes back to God from roaming the earth. God mentions Job again and how he is blameless and upright. He makes sure to say he maintained his integrity, even though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. And that's just Satan for you. You may think that it's because God doesn't love you. Sometimes we have those moments where we feel like, oh, the Lord doesn't love me. But there's no rhyme or reason for Satan to come against you. He's come to steal, kill, and to destroy. But the thing is, is Satan is so small-minded, and he comes to destroy, and all he sees is destruction, but God sees the bigger picture. We serve a God who is greater, and he saw, the Satan just thought he was coming to ruin Job, but God saw the present, and he saw the future, and what God was going to do in his life. So we need to remember that God always sees the bigger picture. And Satan says a man will give all he has for his own life strike his flesh and bones and God said he is in your hands but spare his life God is in control and he will never give you more than you can handle he told him to spare Job's life because he knew that we know he is in control of every situation and a lot of times we want to stop right there and we think why why would God do this to Job? I mean, we saw he lost his oxen, his donkeys, his camels, his sheep, his servants, and his sons and daughters. Why would he take that from him? But as I was reading through it this time, it really just spoke to me that God trusted Job was so committed to him that he knew that he could handle these things. And do any of us want to go through trials or storms? No. But I do want to be the person that God can turn to and say, I know she's committed. I know she loves me. And no matter what you throw at her, Satan, she will always remain with me. So we need to be encouraged in that. Maybe he's taking things from you. Maybe you're walking through that storm, but it's because he knows that you are able and he is equipping you to go through it. And so Satan gives Job's pain, Job painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery and has scraped himself among the ashes. That's a pitiful sight. I mean, think about it. It's just disgusting sores all over him. And he's scraping himself with pottery sitting in the ashes. He is in the lowest of the low. And his wife comes to him. In verse 9, it says, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You were talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? We have to accept in our lives that as Christian people, there is going to be trouble. It's not always going to be hunky-dory, and it's not always going to be great. But as I said before, there is a purpose to the trouble. And I think that Job, even though he was in that hard time, he saw and he knew who he was serving, and he knew that God would bring him out. And so Job's three friends hears of what he's going through, and they come together, and they decide that they're going to go comfort him. 
And so they come to him, but when they saw him, they wept, they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads, and they didn't talk to him for seven days. And Job eventually talks to him. They have a conversation. There's a lot of scripture about what they talk about. But his friends end up saying things that are untrue about God, and they don't end up comforting Job like they meant to. And sometimes people in your life, maybe they have good intention, but they're kind of steering you away from God. But then God also places people in your life to help comfort you and help you go through these hard times. But the honest truth of the matter is no one's going to comfort you in the way God does. But the good news is that even in the storm, even sitting in the ashes, scraping his sores with broken pottery, Job did not turn his back on the comforter. And we need to remember that even though we face things, we cannot turn our back on the comforter because you can try it your way. You can try it the world's way, but it's never going to fully bring you peace and hope and joy like God is going to. Don't turn your back on the comforter. And so we see that the Lord gets angry with Job's friends because he had said those, they had said those untrue things about him. And in chapter 42, verse 8, it's, he tells the friends, So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job did. We have to be ready to serve no matter where we are in life. Job was in the lowest of the low, but still he was able to come through for his friends and he was able to help them out. And a lot of times our storms aren't just for us. A lot of times they're so we can comfort others. So whether you're in the storm, in the midst of it all, we need to prepare ourselves and be ready to help other people. But especially on the other side, we need to be able to comfort people so they don't have to feel the same way that we did. Because a lot of times that's why God puts us through that. Be ready to help other people. And after he said that prayer, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The latter of his life was blessed more than the former. The Lord always has a purpose and a plan for the storms you face. Job was blessed even more abundantly after he went through that storm. And as we see here, a lot of times the storms you go through in your life are right before the breakthrough happens. So if you're in that, if you're in that storm, be encouraged because your breakthrough is on the way. God's not going to leave you in that storm. He's going to pull you out. But not only is he going to pull you out, he's going to bless you for your commitment to him while you were there. So please, in the storms, in the long, in the short, don't forget that God can intervene. Our fourth point, don't forget that your spiritual weapons are readily available when you want to use them. And I want to talk to you about the word, prayer, and praise. Because sometimes Satan comes against us and we feel powerless and we feel like there's nothing that we can do. But these three things can back up the enemy. And so I want to go to, let me turn. I want to go to Luke chapter 4. 
And I want to talk about how Jesus was tested in the wilderness. And I'm just going to read this to you guys. The devil said to him, if you are the son of man, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord. Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and he had and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he says, throw yourself down from here for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. When you come against the enemy with the word of God, the time is no longer opportune for the devil to come against you. Because the Lord made him, the Lord made the enemy, and there is nothing he can do when the word of God is put against him. So I want to encourage you that if Jesus, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was in one of his weakest points in his life. If Jesus can turn to the word in his hard situations, I think we as broken flesh need to turn to the word as well. Because we see here that the moment was no longer opportune. If you turn to the word and you come to him and you come at the enemy with those things, the moment is no longer opportune for the enemy to come against you. If we turn to him, if we read this book, and if we take it into our hearts, he has to go in Jesus' name. Give him praise. <laughs> My second point is prayer, the second weapon. And I want to go to 2 Kings chapter 20. And we see King Hezekiah is told to get his house in order because he is suffering from an illness that he will not recover from. And as soon as he hears this news, he turns his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And God turned the prophet around and he told King Hezekiah that the Lord had heard him and that he was going to add 15 years to his life and deliver the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. A lot of times after we get bad news, or we go through something, our immediate reaction is to think it over and turn it over in our mind and make it become a really, really big thing. But Hezekiah could have sat there and thought about how he was going to die, but instead he turned to the king of kings and he spoke with God about how he felt. See, God wants us to speak to him about how we feel. He wants us to speak to him about these situations because he hears us. And we see that he heard him because he added 15 years to his life. But not only that, he delivered the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. Turn to God when you are in your trials. Don't, don't turn it over in your mind because it's so easy to do, but it doesn't help. It's not going to help the situation if you just make it think about how horrible it is. But when you turn to God, when you turn to the comforter, that will help you. And he can help bring you out. And maybe you're thinking it's not always that simple, which is true. It's not always just one single prayer and then everything's turned around. But let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah. 
Hannah was one of the two wives of Elkanah. His other wife had many children, but Hannah was barren. And it says that the other wife provoked Hannah to irritate her. And the Bible talks about how it went on for years and years. So Hannah's there. She's having to watch this other wife have all these children. And the thing is, I think it was so upsetting to her because the Bible talks about how her husband loved her. He gave her a double portion when they were going to sacrifice, but she couldn't give one of the main things that women did in that time. That's what they were for, to produce offsprings, and she couldn't do that for him. But instead of getting, of course she was discouraged, but instead of letting the discouragement stop her, she let it keep her going, and she continued to pray desperate prayers. And one day in the Lord's house, Eli saw her praying, and at first he thought she was drunk, and he was like, he asked her about it. But she explained that she was praying out of grief and anguish. And in verse 17, Eli said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked him. And so the next morning they woke up to worship the Lord and they went back home and she slept with her husband and it said that the Lord remembered Hannah. The Lord remembers you. Maybe it's not immediate like it was for Hezekiah, but he hears you and he sees you and he is waiting for the opportune time for his perfect time to give you what you are so desperately seeking. And so my last and final point my final weapon is praise. Praise is a very powerful thing, and it's something that Satan really doesn't know what to do with. Praise can throw an army into confusion, make walls thick enough to race chariots fall, shake the foundation of prisons, and loosen shackles. And if praise can do all of these things, praise can change our situation. When we make up our mind to praise the Lord, the enemy has no power over us. When we direct our heart toward the Lord and we decide, hey, maybe everything's not going how I want it to, not everything's going as I planned it, but God is worthy of all the praise. There is nothing that the enemy can do to touch us. So remember to praise. So I'm going to end with, I want to just share with you guys a little story about how I've been using my spiritual weapons just to encourage people you guys. So recently I have, I went through a really, really hard time and I was filled with anxiousness and I was depressed and I truly felt a heaviness come over me and like I ever had before. And I tried for a while, I pushed it to the side and I was like, you know, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. But I talked to mom and dad about it one day and they encouraged me to use these weapons, and so I got into the Word, and like I ever had before, because I'd read, but there's a difference in reading, and reading with an open heart, and so I began reading with an open heart, and the Lord began to speak to me, and like He had ever spoke to me before, this journal is filled with things that I felt Him tell me, and I got my favorite verse, the verse that got me through it all, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I began to pray desperately because I wanted this thing to end. I just, I prayed before school. I prayed after school. Anytime I thought about it, I remember coming down here one night and I went to turn the lights on in the back and just, I could barely make it up the center aisle. And I just fell on my face right here before God. 
And I prayed and I prayed and said, Jesus, please help me. Please lift this burden. But then I also remembered that I had to praise my way out of the situation. Because it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what is eating us up inside. We have to be able to put ourselves aside and worship Jesus because he's worthy no matter what you are facing. And so I did all of these things for, for a few weeks and I began to feel discouraged, but I knew that I had to keep using these spiritual weapons because I could never make it if I did it. And I'll never forget the morning I woke up and the heaviness was gone. I was laying in my bed and I opened my eyes and it felt like it was gone. And I was scared to sit up just because I was just like, maybe it's just I'm laying down. But I sat up and the heaviness was gone. And I walked into their room and I was crying and my mom was like what's wrong because she had gotten so used to seeing me cry out of sadness out of hurt but it was tears of joy and I said mama it's gone the heaviness has been lifted and I just cried and I hugged her and I hate that that happened but it was so important that I used these weapons against the enemy because now I'm able to walk in a confidence and a boldness and I'm able to walk in victory because I got in and I know who I serve I've talked to the one that I've served and I praise the one I serve so I just want to encourage you maybe you feel like your prayers aren't working maybe you feel like your Bible reading isn't helping or maybe you feel like your praise isn't making it to heaven I promise you it is because I felt the same way I felt so hopeless and I felt I remember sitting at Winterfest and I remember thinking that I would never truly feel God again but now I do because of all these things and I just want to encourage you to use these weapons that God has given you thanks for listening to our podcast find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.